Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by my dear friend and our Middle East and North Africa correspondent, Reem Abulail. Reem, thanks for being on here. Thank you for having me again, Ben. We are excited to be having you again. We're excited the tournament is nearing the big dramatic finals, and we have two pretty good finals set up. The men's women's draw, we hope. We never know until we play them, but we hope they look like they could be pretty good on paper. On the women's side, we have Naomi Osaka getting a rematch of last year's great U.S. Open semifinal against Jennifer Brady. And in the men's final, we have Novak Djokovic, who will play against Daniil Medvedev. Let's start, Reem, actually with the women, because they're coming sooner, So and they finish earlier. This is not an entirely surprising final, I don't think. I mean, I think a lot of people look at Brady and be like, whoa, she's a surprise. But not really. I think people, I think, I know Courtney was flagging her very early in this draw as somebody who had a good draw, and she did have a good draw, we have to say. But she took advantage of it, and she's looked very solid. Let's just start with her. What have you been impressed by with from Brady in this tournament, and are you surprised that she's in this final? Because she's acting like she's surprised she's in this final, mm-hmm. but I don't think that many of us are. I think, obviously, because she had to do hard quarantine, Sure. naturally that lowers your expectations i think like it's 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 such a big unknown you know you don't know how you're going to react to something like yeah. that so obviously for her i think she took it in the in the right way saying that like i was actually a bit burnt out because i was away from home for a very long time i was on the road i was training so hard etc so she used it in a way where she worked on her mentality she worked on mental stuff and at the same time also just saying I needed the break, which I think is a very healthy way to deal with with something like when you're thrown a curveball like that. It's it's just the right way to deal with it. So I understand why she may have been surprised. I think what's impressed me the most is that even on days when she wasn't playing her best, she was able to win. And I think that's the that's that's that shows a lot of com- comfort and confidence in, in, in where she's at right now. So that, that's been the main thing for me because I never felt in, in many of her matches, I never felt like, oh, my God, Jen Brady's playing amazing. She's going to make the final. But because she wasn't playing amazing and was still winning, I also had her as one of the people who will probably make the final, you know. So, uh, yeah, that's what impressed me the most. And I think that kind of maybe goes to my way of setting up the question, asking about surprise. Like, it is surprising on paper, for sure, that a player who's never been ranked in the top 20 can manage to play what we all agree is not her best tennis, and she probably said that too, and make the final. Like, against, even if the field did open up a little bit, even if she didn't, didn't have to beat anybody in the top 20 on the way to the to the final, which is rare. Obviously less rare these days in women's tennis, but still pretty rare. But she started off really strong out of the blocks, destroying Bolseva, Brengel, and Kai Yuvan really quickly, and then pretty solid against Vekic. And then against, yeah, the first match where I really saw her sort of winning uglier toughings out was against Pagula, who Pagula was outplaying Brady early in that match, but Pagula didn't seem to have the belief. Pagula, I don't think, went into that match with much expectation of winning it at all. And when she got ahead, she was like, oh, I didn't plan for this, and seemed to sort of panic a little bit or just be like, this doesn't feel right. And Brady also was like, I wasn't supposed to lose to her, what? And, and then turned it around too. And yeah, but the grit that Brady showed at the end of the Mukuma match, especially in that long final game, all those match points, that was that was pretty cool. And and like I said, just it's a weird situation where we both expect this from her and 
think that she can do better and she's still not top 20 and she's not like she was even before the u.s open let's say she was even that highly touted of a player it's not like she's someone like her next opponent Naomi osaka who we always sort of knew was special we didn't really have that with brady but we still we're having these really big expectations for her that she's delivering on so that, that, part, that part's cool to see i think we saw signs of what brady can do from the beginning of last year and like end of 2019 mm-hmm. when she started working with Gesser. and then i remember i interviewed her in dubai exactly a year ago and she qualified in that tournament so she she had to go mm-hmm. to qualifying and i think she beat garbinie if i'm not wrong right i think mm-hmm. she beat sounds Muguruza. right sounds right and Muguruza had just come off that final run in oz I know she had she had a few big wins in, in Dubai, yeah. or at least a couple. And then it's almost like the break didn't happen because she picked up right where she left off and did really well and won her first title and things like that. I think it's unlucky that because of the way the rankings are kind of like semi-frozen, people are not dropping points, it's become harder for people to move up. And that's uh, there, are a, there are a few players that come to mind where, that were really affected by that. And one of them, I feel, is Brady. And also Ons, for example, like Ons, her 2020 yeah. points were she was 14 in the world with 2020 points, yet she was 30 in the world in the real in the actual ranking. So yeah. I think that's what happened with Brady as well. So yeah, I, I actually really hope it's going to be a good final, just because we've seen it, like their semi um Naomi Osaka and Brady's semi final from the US Open last year was the best match of the year. And I'm, yeah. and that sets the bar really high. The one thing I will say is that Jen spoke a lot about being super nervous. Like she, she said that she was really, really nervous in that semifinal and like hearts racing, like legs are shaking and stuff like that. And then she's coming up against someone who's already a three time slam champ and is on a 20 match winning streak and, and, and. So, and, and Jen is going to be in that situation for the first time. So that's why I'm not like, I feel like it's too big of an ask to expect another epic match. I agree with that. But I do think what gives me hope at the final is that Brady's, the base of her game is so solid, right? With like the big serve, big forehand, with a place with a good amount of margin for being an aggressive player with the top spin she has. Like, I don't see her totally, even if she's nervous, I don't see her like stopping winning points or just going completely awry the way that some other players might you know who play with less margin who are more red line kind of players or who play more defensive tennis and don't really have a say in their matches like she's i think she's gonna her baseline of getting stuff is pretty good um you mentioned i wanted to say about how it was like the break never happened for her it's totally true and that's not something we should take for granted at all because one of the players i've been thinking about a bunch actually this year not that much but occasionally um is elena rabakina who is similarly was like on fire player start of and even much more so than brady completely on fire player start of 2020 and we really haven't heard from her meaningfully since the resumption right it totally uh, dampened her her fire the break and it's 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 what's not a given that brady was able to pick up where she left off and maybe even better that speaks and I'm not, I'm not again i'm trying to be generous to everybody during about the pandemic that's not necessarily a knock on rabacana even it's just a compliment to brady saying this was not easy what you did to keep your trajectory mm-hmm. going and so props mm-hmm. to you and you're right yeah her ranking would be much higher um if it was not the frozen thing because everyone is kind of staying you know obviously barty the most obvious example everyone's kind of staying mm-hmm. where they are you know barring no one's really plummeting there's not downward mobility in the rankings right now yeah, it's, it's and even very, if you're like even if you're winning everything like rublev you don't even go up that high yeah. so yeah 
Let's look ahead to the final. I don't want to talk about the semifinal, maybe the aftermath of the semifinal a little bit, because that's been getting a lot of attention, too, with Serena. Osaka, this is the first time I was thinking of her four slam, of her four slam finals, where she's the clear favorite going in. Like, against Azarenka, Azarenka had just won Cincinnati, and they were kind of even, and they were pretty even. They both won two slams. You know, that was a pretty, I think, pretty even feeling match. Against Serena, she was obviously an underdog. Against Kvitova, she, again, closer to even, but I think Kvitova's probably... I don't know. Again, pretty even. This one, she's a clear favorite against Brady, yeah. right? Yeah. How do you think that that might affect Osaka in this final? Could Will it? Or do you think Osaka is just so good in these big matches now that she's just going to beat everybody no matter what? I kind of think that, but I don't know. I think that she... I agree that this is a different situation because she is the clear favorite. There is a, there is a very distinct uh, experience level between both yeah. of them at this point. However, Naomi is on a 20-match winning streak, and she has been able to beat the players that she's supposed to beat, as well as the players that maybe she's not necessarily supposed to beat. So I feel like that helps. I feel like she's in the zone. I feel... I I don't know. I, I don't see Naomi losing this match. Even though it's I a grand really final I... and the stakes are higher than, like, beating someone in a second round or a third round or whatever, but, like... I just don't. The thing is, she just came. She just beat Serena, and for her, Serena is that big server, big forehand, big like you know. And she just took care of that with such ease. So, I would be surprised if she struggles with Brady. Here's the thing: I think if if Naomi loses this match, with due respect to Brady, who's a great player, and obviously mm-hmm. we've just spent you know ten minutes extolling her virtues, mm-hmm. I think it will be it will. My guess is it'll be because Naomi really no shows. Right, if mm-hmm. Naomi comes and puts in a performance like she did against Coco Golf yeah. last year at the Australian Open, which is again maybe a match where she felt like, "Wow, I'm really supposed to win this match," and kind of got in her head about it. We haven't seen that from Naomi since, or maybe even since the Fed Cup match that came after it. But if she really gets in her head and plays really flat bad tennis, then yes, she can lose, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I kind of think it's going to be like that, and we also haven't seen Naomi do that. So at a at a big match, mm. we haven't seen her no show for a big late round match. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I I think it's Naomi until proven otherwise. I think she'll take Brady seriously because of the U.S. Open final, semifinal, yeah. excuse me. Mm. And you know that match was close. I mean, it, it's, it's entirely possible that both could play great and Brady could could edge her. Mm. That's a possibility. But yeah, every sort of instinct I have says Naomi. Uh-huh. Naomi gets this. It'll be I think it'll be respectable. I think it'll be like um, a gentleman's five and three on the scoreline or something. But it'll be you know relatively decisive i found it very interesting when she was asked why is she so good at playing grand slam finals first she pointed out she's like well i've only been played three but then she said i i take it with the mentality of nobody remembers the runner-up and and that's something that and i that mentality is also very interesting to me like she she has so many different ways where she manages to fuel herself like she 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 does it in different ways. It's not just the typical, you know what I mean? I, I like that. Totally. When she said that, I was like, oh, okay. She, I also have sensed there's been a lot of poise from her in her press conferences. There's been, like, she's been asked about serious things, and she has an answer ready, and she's so willing to answer. Yeah. And I, the stuff about, like, like... Like the Japanese Olympic Committee stuff, I noticed, yeah. Exactly. I even think, but the question was in Japanese, so don't quote me on that. But I think she was also asked in the last uh, 
presser about the violence against Asian Americans in the States. About, have, hmm. I, I think because her answer was related to that. Obviously, we don't know what the question is because it was... She decade. put things on social media about that, so that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. yeah, so she's just... There's just this incredible poise and and kind of an, a complete understanding of her role at the moment. Like, she's so embracing that role of... I have a voice. I'm going to get asked about stuff. I know what I'm going to say. I want to keep winning. I don't know. It's I've, I found that very impressive, this tournament in particular. There's a lot of growth. She is pe- she's a lot of growth, and she just is peaking and also feels just very in control. And that's what I was sort of saying. I forget where I said this. I, it was, But it was about the Mugarusa match at the time. I just kind of trust that when Naomi needs to win a match – or needs to win a point, she can do it. Like, oh yeah, this is on you. Were, yeah, you and Courtney were on the podcast when we talked about this. Mm. She has that Fanini thing, you know. And, um, <laughs> and, and <laughs> anyway, uh, that Osaka, yeah, that she she is that sort of special. And you and you just saw that in the match against Serena too. To segue to that match briefly, mm-hmm. like when Naomi had her kind of out of nowhere wobble late in that match, she cleaned it up so fast. Yeah, like it was sort of like, oops, that was a little oopsie at a point where I could kind of afford it. And I had a lead and let me immediately reverse it. And I think that's got to be what, part of what was so discouraging for Serena in that loss is that, like, Naomi was just better. Serena used to have that. I don't think Serena has that necessarily in that kind of match anymore. And Naomi was just so in control and so at the at the sort of, at the current peak of her powers, even when, again, even when she's not playing perfect, she's still just exerts this sort of control and poise and everything mm-hmm. that makes her just an incredibly daunting presence and an incredibly sort of compelling champion in a lot of ways. Yeah, I agree. I'm looking forward to just seeing how she's going to handle this next big match. Like, I feel like she hasn't given us any reason to doubt that she will bring the same kind of attitude to this one. Yeah. So Osaka's are picked there, but let's pause before we move on to the men to Serena. Serena um, got a bunch of attention after at, at the end of the semifinal as she walked off court for very uncharacteristically after a loss, taking a moment to sort of what usually Serena is darting off the court after losses, like head down, just like beeline to the exit. This time she very much paused to seem to sort of soak in the moment to salute the crowd who she hadn't seen in there for, you know, her previous matches, sort of did a bit of a spin and a wave and held her hand over her heart. And it, you know, it was very sort of touching striking moment having seen so little of that from serena it immediately got people wondering is this her saying goodbye in some way was the you know this sort of wave and salutation to the crowd and i'm sure people I actually I'll, I'll put in the audio here of of that exchange from karen kraus asking the question and then serena during the next question i think it was a hangover reaction to the previous question that got her sort of choked up because you could tell her even even she wasn't really listening to the next question i don't think but Anyway, here's here's that moment. It was a really poignant moment when you walked off the court to a standing ovation and you put your hand over your heart. What was going through your head in that moment? Um, I don't know. The Aussie crowd is so amazing, so it was nice to see. Some people wondered if this is you were almost saying farewell. Um, I don't know if I if I ever say farewell, I wouldn't tell anyone. So. <laughs> So, uh, last couple of questions in the room, please. Yeah, Craig. Then, you were saying about the the unforced errors through the match, considering how well you've played, 
to get to this stage? What do you feel caused that? Or was it just one of those bad days at the office? Oh, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Yeah, Serene, what did you, what did you make of this, uh, Serena moment? I think, first of all, she had, hadn't played with fans much at all since the break, right? Like, yeah, yeah. So I think that in general, players are not taking for granted that kind of thing. That's true. Um, and I think especially with Serena, because she's very selective with the schedule anyway. God knows when she's going to play again. We could see it as her just like, because they were also really, the, the fans were going for Serena in that second set. They wanted to see a third, yeah. you know, they were really supporting her and stuff. And, and, and I think that that's something that she could just be emotional about having that feeling again, you know, like have it, having yeah. that kind of crap. But also, totally. you know, again, she's, she said that she's never going to say if she's planning on retiring. So you really never know. It's it's a very valid kind of speculation from people. Yeah, and she didn't and she didn't do anything to knock it down. She didn't say I'll be back next year. She didn't say, but yeah. not yet. There was sure. no sort of. She had a lot of chances where she could have been like, she yeah. could have dismissed it in any number of ways, and she didn't take any of those. That's that's true. That's true. She would usually say I'll see you next year or this or that. Even Venus says that. But yeah, she does. Yeah. She, I agree. Uh, in terms of I think like, we'll see Venus in twenty thirty. <laughs> Well, I really hope that Venus does get to go to Melbourne again because that was just a horrible way to leave Melbourne yeah. just with that injury. That was horrible. But yeah, uh, in terms of... I'm not 100% sure if she was crying in the press conference because of... I don't think it was because of Karen's question. I don't know. I also That was think, my read. Yeah. I don't know because I, I see it's in... I don't know. I also think that... That was the third time she was asked about why she was she had so many errors and was just she was off, you know. So maybe just being pressed on that and just feeling terrible about the match. I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe not sure. I mean she did come to press like I remember thinking also as that reaction happened, like oh maybe Serena maybe you could have taken more time before coming to press. You know mm. she didn't come immediately like she sometimes does, but she came probably within mm. half an hour of losing. Uh, which is on the fast side for players, and yeah. maybe if she if she wanted to compose herself a little more, come up, get herself a little more ready. But I appreciated the the emotion for and the, sure. that sort of honesty and, from her, and, and and she had on the errors point. She started off the press conference by talking about her how many errors she was making. That was very much clearly gonna be her line. It was very actually sort of throwback to Serena of twenty years ago, only talking about how many errors she made, not really mentioning or crediting the opponent. Honestly, yeah, which but that's, is but her that's prerogative, typical but, Serena. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but that's yeah. also, yeah. but also that's part of why she wins matches sometimes is that she always only sees it from her side yeah. and, and and believes that it's on her racket so much. And that attitude has won her so many matches, but also it's kind of a negative when she's losing a match because of her opponent, not just herself. Like, I think it's at some point you need to not think that way, shut down your ego completely and figure out yeah. a way to solve a, a specific problem against a specific player so it's a tricky one. Like, I understand. Like, she's a legend. She knows what her process is like, what works for her. But also, it's kind of almost when Roger was kind of, like, sticking to to a certain way against certain players and losing to them. And then yeah. when he decided to change something, it helped, you know. Anyway, that was a bit of a tangent. Totally, like, late career Roger against Nadal. Exactly. He, like, suddenly figured out how to play Nadal, you know, in the last decade after, like, all these years of being, like, stubbornly yes. losing. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. 
but yes, I it was not it was very it was it was very emotional even just watching that. Like we were oh, all yeah, I was like, in I was in it was it was awkward being in the yeah in the video and, conference yeah. like because especially because we know people send me photos like your face is like on the wall there yeah. and it's like big video monitors that show the remote press and i was like and she got up and left and i was like Ew. i was like is my face doing the right thing in this moment am i reacting appropriately to this like because i know my face is like eight feet tall on this wall I um, and i always out. forget and i always forget that we're on that wall like I, the only yeah. reason i ever remember is when like the comms people sometimes send me a photo of, of us like, exactly thing. and that's exactly. when I, i'm like oh you guys can see me the whole time and it's really big <laughs> i know and like for some reason the microsoft teams which we used for the the press conferences the video is like higher def and like wider than on um zoom and so, like, wow, you can really see every inch of my of my room in, in, on this wall of this. Which <laughs> is also north. worrying. I have like my desk. I have like an exercise bike behind me, which kind of almost seems like I'm bragging about. I never use that thing. It's just there, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have anywhere else to put it. <laughs> but it's always in the background of all these press conferences. But anyway. Speaking of things in the background, segue, Novak Djokovic's tournament had this health scare in the third round where he strained a muscle or did something against Taylor Fritz. And I fully, I'm going to sort of stipulate this early in the conversation about this. I fully, and I believe that he did something. People who are like, he's fine. He was never hurt. That's ridiculous. He clearly hurt himself against Fritz in that match. He has recovered from it more successfully than maybe he thought was possible or, or that he let us think was possible to which I say good for him. I'm not really holding any of that stuff against him. I think that's just a lot of anti Djokovic sentiment out there, which we all know is out there. I'm not saying it's all, you know, wrong, but in this case, it's like, come on guys. Like he clearly was hurt and he's getting better and he still has some tape on his abdomen. She did over his win over a uh, Karatsev in the semifinal to get to his ninth Australian open final. He is eight and Oh previously. <laughs> In finals, it's crazy. Also, about that both not only are they so good these two tournaments, but that both Djokovic and Nadal are undefeated in their finals of their best tournament too is also pretty, yes. pretty impressive. With Nadal being what thirteen and zero now in Paris, and and Djokovic being eight and zero, I do think this could be one of Djokovic's toughest Australian Open finals ever. However, playing against Daniil Medvedev, who's on a twenty match win streak, like his buddy Naomi Osaka, or not really buddy, but almost more like opposite number they like talk about each other and press a lot of them they're actually friends on any level but but they're sort of you know quirky folk uh, who are aware of each other at least let's put it that way Medvedev looks really good he made that match against Tsitsipas incredibly one-sided and it wasn't really at all interesting competitively until Medvedev kind of let himself get rattled or almost seemed bored honestly midway through the third set and so he started like playing mind games with his towel and stuff that got him kind of distracted and got the crowd back into it and it got it back on serve and then Medvedev pretty quickly after it was five all wrapped it up and won six four six two seven five I I think that Medvedev can win this match he beat Djokovic in our last meeting in London I think he'll probably the crowd I don't know what the crowd will do in this match it's not really I don't think it's that important but like he's looking really sharp I do think that Medvedev is not as good in long physical matches necessarily. So if Djokovic can make it a, a physical battle, well, we'll see because he has his whole issue too, which I don't think he's 100% passed. But yeah, I'm intrigued and excited by this. And actually we saw on the physical side, just before I hand it over to you, get my one lingering dangling thought out of my head. When they played each other 
in the Australian Open in what was it, 2018? Tw- yeah, 2018. It was sort of one of one of Medvedev's sort of like breakout matches. 2019. Really tough. 2019. The fourth four round, you mean when it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The fourth setter in the fourth round, which is one of the most physical matches, like, ever, anywhere. Yeah. And Djokovic won it, but he was, like, broken afterwards. Yeah. He felt awful <laughs> after that match. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that was really Medvedev's first sort of... That was the wider world's first look at, like, the Medvedev torture chamber that is playing him in terms <laughs> of his physicality. Um, yeah. So I'm excited for this match. And I, yeah, I would make, I think, let me put it this way, Osaka's a much bigger favorite than I think Djokovic is. I personally think Medvedev is going to win. Like I said, that like yeah. I was, I was sitting with my family watching Tsitsipas, um, the match against Tsitsipas just a while ago, and I was explaining to them in general like what's going on, who's playing who, what's happening, and then I was like, it was right before the match started. I was like, Medvedev will beat Steph, and I genuinely think he will beat Novak. I think Novak before the Karatsev match, he had like four matches that were like five setter, four setter, four setter, four setter, like. He he has spent more time on the court. He obviously has a kind of lingering physical issue. He said that he was fine against Karatsev, but like the way Medvedev is playing, it's kind of similar to what I said about Naomi, just being in the zone and knowing exactly what to do when he's in trouble. Like in the third set, when he randomly decided to panic against Tsitsipas, he surrendered his break. They had a break advantage, and then he, he got broken. And then at 3-4, he was serving, faced two break points. What does he do? Ace, ace, service winner on his second serve. Boom, he holds for 4-4. And that is just, that was that's Medvedev in a nutshell at the moment. He's just so solid on serve when he needs it, but also so willing to go into these long rallies and win them. I think the match against Rublev was painful to watch just because of what he was able like he broke Rublev's spirit physicality mentality everything he just broke him and he's his best friend like that was just like if you can do that to your best friend and just like not even flinch that was the thing that was the sort of sadism about the match tonight against Sitsipas we're recording this after the Sitsipas match like Medvedev was enjoying it so much Yep. dominating Sitsipas. He was having such a lovely evening. Yeah. It was just, it was fun to watch him have fun. Yeah. Yeah. And and he knows the effect it has on Novak. He just he does that to Novak. He really does yeah. also like just push him to his limits so much. They've played seven times. Novak is four three against him, but like Medvedev always pushes him. Pushes him, pushes yeah. him and just drives him nuts. The 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 way a lot of these shots come with such ease, even though they're not. Like, it's just, I don't know. I uh, Today when I was watching the Tsitsipas match and when I was watching the Rublev match the other day, I was like, this guy has, has to win the Australian Open. Like, he's, again, 20-match winning streak. And also that winning streak includes, like, a Masters 1000 and then the ATP Cup and, the, uh, and then uh, ATP Finals before the ATP Cup. And then this, I'm like, these are not... His yeah, he's, he's twelve. He's won his last twelve matches against top ten players. That's an insane stat. Like he is, I don't like this word in sports, but like he deserves it. He's yeah. well, let me put it this way: he's due, right? He has like built such a strong case for himself to become a Grand Slam champion, and especially he's an amazing hardcore player. This is the one of the slams that makes sense for him to do it at. Hmm. I think more so almost than any other player, maybe this side of like since Andy Murray. You know, it feels hmm. like I mean. He's won what now? He's won um, 
four Masters titles, I believe, plus the World Tour Finals, plus this is his second Slam Final, and his previous Slam Final was a really good final against, you know, 6-4 in the fifth against Nadal, I believe. I think it was 6-4. Like, yeah, he's, he's very much the real deal, very much somebody who's earned it. This would not be a case of somebody doing essentially what team did, which is taking advantage of a broken draw and a broken field. Granted, Medvedev is one of the people he beat. So, it's, you know, but uh, it's not like that. This would be very much like, if he does it, he will have beaten en route uh, the very credible, very informed Rublev uh, and then Tsitsipas and then Djokovic. That's like a super tough, legit route to get to a slam win. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this match. I think he can do it, too. I'm never inclined to bet against Novak in Melbourne because he's just mm. been, he's so good on that court, and he's so good in that moment. And he had, I haven't seen him lose there yet, but I, I think this is going to be one of his biggest scares in a long time. So much more than all those, like, chunky Andy Murray finals there were. Mm. Ba- so many others oh, were so bad. I don't miss yeah. those at all. As much as I miss Murray, I don't miss those matches at all. Yeah. Look, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I kind of... I'm not giving enough credit to Novak's record in Melbourne, which is insane. I mean, 8-0 in finals is insane. And also, like, when he was in trouble against team last year, he just found a way. He always finds a way. And I think he can definitely rely on that. I just think that because of how his tournament has gone with the physical problem, with the not typical preparation for him, uh, even though he was in Adelaide and all that, it was also like kind of strict uh, in terms of the hours they were allowed yeah. to practice and stuff. Yeah, I just think he spent more time on the court. And for someone who's not feeling amazing against someone who's playing that well, that's why I'm kind of tipping Medvedev. Totally fair. Totally fair. Well, we look forward to these matches. We will maybe catch up with you again after them, or one, one or both of them. We'll do more shows this weekend. And hope everyone listening enjoys them. Any other thoughts on other assorted Australian Open thoughts as we uh, just I'm thinking about Tits- I was watching Tsitsipas and I was thinking that like it's this is his second straight Slam semi, right? Because he did semis yeah. in Paris, uh-huh. semis here, which I think is very good continuity for him. I I like that yeah. for him. Uh, his his comeback against Rafa obviously is is amazing. But I also when I watched him against Medvedev, I kind of see a gap like there's a gap Medved uh, of all of the others like I know we say that about team as well obviously who was already a Grand Slam champion and everything and you say there's a gap but but I think what Medvedev have that I feel team doesn't and maybe I'm wrong but that's how I see it I I see Medvedev and I see someone who actually can dominate I see, you know what I mean? Whereas team can have his ups and downs and stuff like that. And, and I know I'm saying that when Medvedev, like literally before Paris, the Paris Masters last year was in a funk and had no confidence or whatever. But once he got it, it's just scary. So yeah, I feel like Tsitsipas has to, as much as I think it's really good result for him and everything. And, and he, and also like just the way he's serving and stuff like that, I think that's really improved. I just think that he needs to. There's still he's still a step behind. I think, I I we were recording this thing maybe during his press conference. I don't know how he's going to react to it, but I'm guessing Sissipas is pretty devastated by this loss. Just being not competitive like that yeah. in a Slam semi will really hurt for him after having this is his third one now. Yeah. Um, I know he was really hurt after the uh, Nadal loss he took 
uh, in yeah. Australia in 2019. After yeah, he couldn't he got speak. Lit he in was, that match. Yeah, he was. He was and, and he like, actually talked about it when he was on NCR before for the Australian Open that he, he it hurts more for him losing when he feels close to his goals rather than like losing a first round. Mm. The first round losses or whatever, but like when I actually get close to like the things I want to achieve, that's when it hurts more. And so I think this will hurt for him for sure. But I also think, and the, they were saying this a lot on the US TV feed, like the physical and emotional toll of beating Rafael Nadal from two sets down 48 hours earlier, less than 48 hours earlier, has to be massive. Yeah. And so he was just flat, you know, he's flat and against a guy who loves that matchup. That's a really good matchup for, for, for Medvedev. It's now six and one against him. Yeah, honestly, and the match didn't even deserve to be as close as it was. That that third set should have been like a breadstick. But Medvedev made it stupid. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but hopefully Sitsipas can take solace in that Nadal win. That's the second win over a big three guy at a slam and a really good win. We haven't talked about that match on this show, I don't think. Or did we with Nick? Uh, no, we were right. We were recording during it. That's what happened. Um, but, like, that was kind of a choke from Nadal. In that, that third was set tie bizarre. break, I do not know how that happened. Yeah, I w- I watched the whole thing, and I was already making plans with my editor of writing something on Rafa and stuff, and I totally jinxed it. <laughs> but like, it was impossible. It's no disrespect to Steph at all, but it was in in my mind there was zero chance that Steph was going to come back. R- Rafa was so comfortable in every possible way. That I was like, this is not going to happen. So good on Steph for actually believing he could do that. Can I also say that since Stefanos lost that crazy match against Chorich in US Open, mm-hmm. in slams, he's kind of like really stepped up. Like, the, yeah, with, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, he took, he, he, he took, he learned a lot from that bizarre loss. So he had what, seven, eight match points or something? I don't remember. Yeah, a bunch. Yeah, he had at least seven. So, um, and then lost. So, yeah. But uh, I... I don't know if it was as many as seven. Seven seems high. But he had a big lead and lost. Let's put it that way. I know he had many match points. Maybe five. I don't know. I'm old. I think Sangren had seven last year. That's where the seven sticks out to me. No, but Steph had a lot. Maybe five? Oh my god, I can't I can't believe it was only last September and I can't remember, but anyway. I kinda wanna look this up now, hold on, I'm gonna look. Look it up. But also in my defense, I was in uh, in the north coast in Egypt covering a slam remotely that's six, 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 six. Six, okay. okay. So okay, yeah. I'm not far off. No. But yeah, off. I was always, I was working all night during that tournament. It was horrible. Horrible. Anyway. Yeah. I feel that uh, same way too. Australian up in brain fog. I as much as I enjoy these slams. And Courtney's been talking about this too. Like it is tough doing them in these op- in these off time zones. It is not easy. And I'm I've actually to and getting it, to be diurnal again. No, I've I've now because it's been a year since I've been live at a tournament. My last my my last event was uh, Fed Cup Group One, I think, uh, Asia in Dubai, which was the first week of March. It was the week before Indian mm-hmm. Wells, and I'm honestly. I feel so bad covering things remotely that I am actually rethinking my life, <laughs> like my life choices. <laughs> Honestly, I, I'm like, yeah. do I do I want to keep covering sport this way? Maybe not. Honestly. It's a completely different job. It's a completely different job. Uh, and it also makes me feel like I'm just like everyone else who's watching on TV. And, yeah. and you know what I mean? Like, it's... It's yeah, it's changed the way we conduct our jobs 
completely, completely, completely. And yeah, I'm not. Anyway, this is a complete tangent. We can, we don't have to talk about this. But anyway, well, no, but it's, it it works, and it's it's a useful segue. Speaking of segues in this episode, into thanking you for being on the show and telling people if they want to support you in this time of existential crisis. <laughs> Please do so on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reem We'll link it in the show notes. And if you want to support NCR as well as we soldier on and stay up till it's about 7 a.m. Um, seeing, I've seen a lot of sunrises lately. Uh, you can support NCR as well. Patreon.com slash no challenges remaining. want to thank those of you who are our Slam Champ backers. We thank every episode. Liz Kennel, Jonathan Weinbaum, Mary Carrillo, Leah Williams, Betty, Audrey Wellens, Sean Mulroy, Anna Valinder, Susanna W., Jean Simeon, and Antonio Maycumber, and our GOAT backers, Mike, Nicole Copeland, Pam Shriver, and J.O.D. And we have one new backer to thank since our last episode. Very exciting. And he is K. Murata. So thank you to K. Murata. As in Kani Shakori, K-E-I, Murata. So thank you to K. for supporting us. And again, patreon.com slash no challenge remaining and patreon.com slash Reem Abuleil. Reem, we're almost there. Enjoy your weekend. And everybody else, enjoy the tennis, too. And we'll see you soon. Bye, guys. Bye.